results. Results. Life is about results. You do something. You work hard at something. You invest a lot of time and effort and energy into something, and you want results. If your favorite sports team hires a new coach and signs a bunch of big money free agents and has a bunch of high-level draft picks, you hope you want all that effort being done by the front office to result in some wins. You want your favorite team to start winning right now if you go on a diet. If you start exercising a bunch and eating healthier and drinking more water and avoiding eating late at night, you want all that effort to result into losing some weight. If you begin working to eliminate debt and trying to stay on a budget and you start saving and, and changing your spending habits, you hope all that discipline will result into some more money in your pocket. And when you have a big Beautiful garden like my great grandmother did that I told you about last month, like Big Mama did. And you plant various kinds of seed in that garden and you cultivate those seeds and you work those seeds and you do whatever is necessary to take care of those seeds. Well, in time, you expect all that effort to result into some produce. You expect that in time, you're gonna start seeing some tomatoes and some corn and potatoes and peppers and collard greens and okra and cabbage and whatever else you may have planted in that garden. This principle right here certainly applies to what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13. Going back to where our scripture reading came from this morning, Remember in Matthew chapter 13, there we find Jesus giving one of the most famous parables in all the Bible, and that is the parable of the sower. Remember in the parable of the sower, Jesus describes four different types of soils. He describes the wayside soil, and the rocky soil, and the thorny soil, and the good soil. Remember, all four of those soils represent something very specific. They represent, they represent hearts. They, they represent people's hearts. They represent our hearts when we respond to the seed, which is the word of God. Now, remember, out of all the soils that are mentioned in that parable, only one, only one produces good results. Only one bears fruit. Only one flourishes and enjoys wonderful produce to the glory of God. The question, though, is, is what exactly does that produce look like? What exactly does that fruit look like after we do all the things that we've been talking about over the past couple of months, after we initially have the seed, which is the word of God planted in our hearts, and after we spend a lot of time and a lot of effort cultivating that seed by continuing to learn the word of God and apply the word of God and trust the word of God and protect our hearts with the word of God from the corrupt things found in this world, after we engage in these entrenching habits, 
what results, what results are we bound to see? What, what fruit are we bound to see? What fruit will God bring about in the lives of those who develop and maintain righteous hearts? Well, as we wrap up this portion of our Hands to the Plow series of lessons that our shepherds have set before us this year, if you don't mind in this lesson, I want to talk with you about that, okay? If you don't mind in this lesson, I want to conclude this series of lessons that have been about plowing the field of our hearts by talking with you about the kind of fruit that God produces in the life of a person who develops and maintains a righteous heart. And let's begin with this first fruit right here. The first fruit that we can expect to pop up in our lives when we develop and maintain a righteous heart is number one, there's the fruit of conversion. The fruit of conversion. Another way we could say that is the fruit of, of spiritual transformation. The, the fruit of becoming a new creature. The fruit of putting off that old man and putting on that, that new man. The fruit of being born again as Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3 when Jesus talks about being born again there. Well, he's talking about conversion. He's talking about a person being converted by the revealed teachings of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul talked about this with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When you go in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul, in his effort to help the Corinthians with one of the problems they had, which was putting preachers on the same level as Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 5, Paul, Paul, excuse me, Paul says, what then is Apollos? Remember, Apollos was a preacher. And he says, well, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted. Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now, what is Paul talking about there in those passages? Well, simply put there in those passages, Paul is talking about this point right here on our slide. He's talking about conversion. He's talking about the process of conversion. He says that when it came to the Corinthians, the process for their conversion followed the exact pattern that we've been talking about for the last couple of months. Like Brother Brian preached about in the month of February, the Corinthians also had the word of God planted in their hearts. They had the seed planted in their hearts. Paul says that he planted the seed and Apollos watered the seed. Uh, Apollos cultivated and nurtured when it had been planted in their hearts by continuing to teach them more of the word of God. But the question is, who caused the growth? Who gave the increase? Did Paul give the increase? Did Apollos give the increase? Did any gospel preacher or Bible class teacher give the increase? No, Paul says that God was the one who gave the increase. God was the one who caused the growth in these people. God is the one who caused the growth in these people because at the end of the day, it was their word, his word that they obeyed. 
It was his gospel, God's gospel that they had submitted to. The gospel that Paul and Apollos taught them did not originate from their minds. Instead, it originated from the mind of God. Paul makes this point further in Romans 1 and verse 16, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it, referring to the gospel, not the preacher, not the teacher, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, put that with what Paul said to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. I want to ask you to go with me in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and listen to what Paul said in verse 13 to the Thessalonian brethren. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul says for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, notice how these people have received the word of God. Do you see that? The word of God implanted in their hearts. When you, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, notice. You accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The word of God was working in the hearts of these people. Now, what kind of work was the word of God doing in their hearts? Go back one chapter to chapter 1. In chapter 1, in verse 8 of this same book, in chapter 1, in verse 8, Paul, as he continues to talk to this church, he says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith towards God has gone forth. So we have no need to say anything, but they themselves report about us what kind of reception we have with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Notice how in those verses, Paul tells us exactly the kind of work that the word of God was performing in the hearts of these people. Notice the kind of work that God's word was performing or had performed in the hearts of these people was the work of conversion. It was the work of conviction. It was the work of persuading the Thessalonians to turn away from a life of sin and give their lives over to the Lord. Paul says that because the word of God had been planted and cultivated in the hearts of the Thessalonians, they had been truly converted. They had repented. They had been converted in their hearts 100% to the Lord. In other words, they didn't just get wet when they were baptized. They didn't just walk around saying, well, you know what? I love God and I love Jesus and I love the Bible. No, Paul says that these Christians, they had been truly converted. They had truly repented. They had truly given up their old sinful habits and their old sinful thinking and even their old, old sinful religion. Paul says that these people had turned from idolatry to serving a living and true God. Brothers and sisters, do you realize how hard it must have been for them to do that? Do you realize that? Do you realize how hard it must have been for these people to start worshiping a living and true God 
in a culture and society where the vast majority of people around them did not worship a living and true God. They did not worship the one true and living God. Instead, the vast majority of people in this society, they worship a bunch of false gods. They worshiped a bunch of false deities. They worshiped false deities like Zeus and Apollos and Epaphrodite and, and, and Hercules. There's even evidence that many of the people in the Thessalonian society were worshiping some of the false gods of the Egyptians. There were all kind of false gods people were worshiping in this culture and in this society. But Paul says these Christians, when they came to the Lord, they gave all that up. They turned from the idolatry that was being practiced by their family members and their friends and by the people in their community. They surrendered themselves over completely to serving a living and true God because the word of God had produced in their hearts the fruit of conversion. The word of God had produced in their hearts the fruit of conversion. Let me tell you something. Just like the word of God have produced the fruit of conversion in the hearts of people 2,000 years ago, it continues to do the same thing today. It continues to do the same thing even in 2022. Even today, for those who receive the word of God and continue to cultivate and water it in their hearts, they too enjoy the fruit of conversion. They too, they too are, are converted in the sense that they give up they give up the idols. They give up the idolatry. They're done with the idolatry. They're done with things like false religion. They're done with denominationalism. They're done with Catholicism. They're done with believing that one church is just as good as another church. They're done with going to churches that promote food, fun, and frolic, frolic instead of promoting New Testament Christianity like you can read about in the Bible. People who have the fruit of conversion in their hearts, they are done with religion that is foreign to New Testament teaching. And they're also done with hanging out with those friends who on the weekends love to go drinking and partying and clubbing and doing dope. And they're also done with going to trashy movies. And looking at wicked things on the Internet and going to the casinos and sleeping late on on Sundays or going fishing on Sunday or hiking or camping or catching up on their yard work instead of gathering with the saints to worship God in spirit and in truth. They're also done with riding the fence, the truly converted people. They're done with riding the fence. They're done with living a lifestyle that says I'll be one way in this place and another way out there in the world. They're done with the thinking that Christianity is something that you just do on Sunday or Wednesday night, but the rest of the week you can live however you want to live and you can do whatever you want to do. No, the people who have allowed the seed, which is the word of God to truly work in their hearts, they're not part-time Christians. They're not part-time disciples. They're not part-time followers of Jesus Christ. Instead, they are all in with Jesus Christ. They are truly converted. God's growth within them has produced the fruit of real, genuine, and authentic discipleship. That's the kind of fruit you get when you have a righteous heart. But not only do you get that fruit, another fruit you get is the fruit of maturity. 
the fruit of maturity. Another way we can say this is the fruit of visible, visible spiritual growth, just like little babies are supposed to experience visible growth over a period of time. And just like puppies and kittens are supposed to experience visible growth over time. And just like crops and plants are supposed to experience visible growth over time. If you nurture them and take care of them, well, the same is also true with Christians. Christians who have righteous hearts are supposed to experience visible growth over time as well. Beginning on the day they are baptized until the day they die, God wants his people to be showing growth. God wants his people to be showing maturity. God wants his people to constantly be demonstrating an attitude of I am not content with where I currently am spiritually. God wants us to have that mindset and mentality until the day we die. We know that because Paul had that mentality. In Philippians chapter 3 and in verse number 12, Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect. Now, when Paul talks about being perfect there, he is not, he is not talking about sinless perfection. None of us will ever reach a level of sinless perfection. That is not what Paul means there when he used the word perfect. And said so the word perfect there is being used to talk about maturity, spiritual maturity. Paul says, not that I've already obtained it, I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul says that I am not content, even as an apostle, I'm not content with where I am spiritually. I want you to go in your Bible, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2, because Peter has something to say about this also. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we, we considered these verses last month when we talked about this same subject, but notice them again, please. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and in verse number 1, in verse 1, Peter says, therefore, keep in mind, he's talking to Christians here, therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, we got to be like newborn babies who long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to salvation. What is Peter talking about there? What's well, obvious there? Peter's talking about. He's talking about growth. He's talking about growing. He's talking about Christians growing in the Lord as they continue to long for and be fed the word of God. You know, over the past few months in this congregation, we've been blessed to have a lot of babies being born. Have you noticed that? That's just me. A lot of babies being born. I mean, the, the, the Lees had a baby, Hortons had a baby, Schaefer's had a baby, and that's just beautiful. That is wonderful. I just hope those parents will stay away from my wife so she won't start getting any ideas. <laughs> but we got a lot of babies, a lot of beautiful babies being born in this congregation. Let me just ask you, are any of those babies teenagers yet? Are any of those babies young adults yet? Young adults being in their 20s and 30s. Are any of these babies older adults who have, who have accumulated a lot of life experience? Are any of those babies at that level yet? Well, of course not. 
Of, of course not. Now, Lord willing, they will be one day. If the Lord will bless them, one day they will become teenagers. They will become young adults. They will become people who have a lot of life experience. But right now, they got to wait on that, right? They got to wait. They got to grow. They got to go through the process of maturing and developing as human beings. Now, if their parents don't see or if we don't even see any signs of visible growth in those little babies, over the course of time, well, there's going to be some concern. There's going to be some, some cause for concern. We understand this when it comes to the development of small children. And we also need to understand it when it comes to the development of Christians. It's the same process. You see, when Christians constantly long for and are constantly fed the word of God, which Peter calls milk here, and Jesus calls the seed back in the parable of the sower, when a Christian constantly longs for the word of God and is fed the word of God, well, you know what God does to them? God grows them. God matures them. God stretches them, and he takes their faith to a whole nother level. I submit that when God does that to a person, there is going to be some fruit, and that fruit is going to manifest itself in several different ways. For example, when a Christian is growing and maturing the right way, that's going to become evident in their, in their giving. That's going to manifest itself in their giving to God. You see, when a Christian becomes more generous over time and starts giving more to the Lord over time and starts having more faith when they give to God over time, you know what that's a sign of? That's a sign of growth. That's a sign of real spiritual growth. If you're a Christian who's been a Christian for 20, or 30 years and you have not grown in your giving to God, you haven't grown in your faith when it comes to giving, well, you're not maturing properly. You're not maturing like the Lord wants you to mature. This kind of maturity we're talking about can be seen in how a Christian gives to God over a period of time. It can, and it also can be seen in, in prayer. In prayer, when a Christian increases... And the amount of prayer that they do in their life, when a Christian finds themselves praying more and more throughout the course of their lives and finding more and more opportunities to carve out quiet moments with God, when a Christian increases in their prayers over a period of time, you know what that's a sign of? That's a sign of growth. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. And the same thing can be said about, about forgiveness. When a Christian over time finds it easier to forgive someone and bury the hatchet when an, an offense is committed against them. When a Christian is, finds it easier and quicker to reconcile with someone who has done them wrong. When a Christian is quick to humble themselves before God and repent of their sins when they sin against God, instead of always coming up with excuses and being full of pride and denial over their sins, well, you know what that's a sign of? That's a sign of growth. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. And the same can also be said about consideration of others. When a Christian, over time, is not willing to go to war over everything, and get their way on everything and is willing to let some things go 
They have nothing to do with salvation so that the unity of the spirit can be reserved in the bond of peace. When a Christian has that kind of mindset over a course of time, you know what that's a sign of? That's a sign of spiritual growth. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. You see, when a person is initially converted to the Lord, they struggle with this stuff. They struggle with giving. They struggle with prayer. They struggle with forgiving others who do them wrong. They struggle with not getting their way on everything, even in the church. People struggle with this when they initially come to the Lord. But if they have honest hearts that are truly converted and are constantly being cultivated by God's word, you know what's going to happen over the course of time? They're going to be mature in this stuff. They're going to grow in this stuff. They're going to demonstrate some spiritual growth. To the glory of God. In fact, maybe we should add to our list by saying that in addition to the fruit of conversion and the fruit of maturity, another fruit of a righteous heart is the fruit of good works. The fruit of good works. Now, when we say good works here, we're saying that a righteous heart brings forth fruit that is not just evident to the disciple or even to God, but it's also evident to other people. It's also evident to even people in the world. People in the world are also able to notice the good fruits coming from this person. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 5, verse 16. Do you remember that? Remember Matthew 5, verse 16. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your what? Good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. Jesus says that he wants the world to notice and see our good works as we shine, as we shine our lights. You then look at what Jesus says in John 15 and verse eight. In John 15 and verse eight, Jesus says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove, you prove to be my disciples. And then look over at Matthew chapter 7. Because I know in the context here of Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about false teachers and how we can recognize them. But I think there's a good principle that we can apply to this, to this sermon here. And so in Matthew the 7th chapter, and I'm looking at verse number 17, please. In Matthew the 7th chapter and in verse number 17, Jesus says, So every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. It is cut by, down by God. If you are not a tree bearing fruit, God has no use for you, Jesus says. He will cut you down and you throw you into the fire. So then you will know them. You'll know them by their fruits. Here, Jesus is talking about fruit. He's talking about noticeable fruit. He is saying that people can judge us in our lives by the fruit that we are producing in our lives. He says that as a, if a tree is really a tree of God, if it's really a tree that is glorifying God and growing in the right way, then guess what it's going to produce? It's going to produce good fruit. It's going to produce righteous fruit. It's going to produce the kind of fruit that makes it evident to other people that these people have truly been transformed by the gospel. The Apostle Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 22. 
In Romans 6 and verse 22, Paul says that one of the fruits that a Christian should be producing in their life is the fruit of sanctification. The fruit of holiness. When people see us, they should see holy people. People who are set apart for the purposes of God. People who are truly trying to live by the moral standard of the Bible. That's what Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 22. And then in, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 10, Paul talks about the reason why we should be trying to grow in our wisdom and knowledge of God's word. In Colossians 1 and verse 10, he says the reason why we do that is so that we will walk. Notice the idea of walking. That's living right. Live in a certain way every single day so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him, not just in some respects. But Paul says we should be striving to please God in every respect, in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says that God wants us to be bearing some fruit. As we grow in our knowledge, as we walk a certain way every day, we should be bearing some fruit. Now, what kind of fruit is that talking about? Well, I think Paul tells us in a chapter like Galatians 5. You know Galatians 5, don't you? You know Galatians 5, 22 through 23. What do you find there? You find the fruit of the Spirit. You find the fruit that should be evident in your life if you're living by the teachings of the Holy Spirit. If you're really influenced by his teaching, which is the gospel, then you're going to have some fruit. You're going to have love. Love. You're going you're to love everybody. No hate in your heart. You, you, you love your family. You love God first and foremost. You love your brothers and your sisters in Christ. You even love the world. You, you care about people in the world. You want them to be saved. You even love your enemies. One of the fruits of the Spirit is love, and not just love, but joy. You're going to be happy. You're not going to walk around all sad all the time and, and, and always just feeling like it's all over. The, the world's just so terrible. No, because God took care of our, our greatest need 2,000 years ago at Calvary. We're going to be happy. We're going to have joy in our hearts no matter what goes on in this world. Real, genuine disciples have joy. That joy is evident to other people. And you got peace. You have a peace that passes all understanding. You have peace with God. You try to be at peace with your fellow man, peace with your brethren, and you're patient. People can see your patience, your perseverance, and you're a kind person. You're not mean. You're not ugly and rude to other people all the time. And you got goodness, and you're faithful, and you're gentle. You're a gentle person. You're not always looking to pick a fight with somebody. You're gentle, and you have self-control. You have control over your, over your tongue, control over your words, control over your passions. You have self-control. These things, there, there, is, there is no law. Notice how, how Paul says that. When you live by the Holy Spirit's teachings, when you're someone who's having the kind of fruit that God wants you to have, then it's going to be evident. When you live by the, the teachings of the Holy Spirit, you get fruit, fruit from the Holy Spirit. People are going to see that you're different. They're going to see that you look a certain way as you look at those verses, my friends. Ask yourself, does that describe me? Is that my life? Do I look like those two verses? The Bible says we should all look like those two verses. 
That's the kind of tree we should be as we live our lives every single day. And we can't move away from this point without saying something about evangelism, right? We got to go to Romans chapter 1, and we got to look at what Paul said in verse 13. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit. Some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul there is talking about fruit. What kind of fruit is Paul talking about there? Well, in that context, he's talking about the fruit of lost souls. He is saying that he is so zealous for the Lord that he wanted to win lost souls for the Lord. Paul says that he viewed winning lost souls as bearing fruit for God. And that's also how we got to look at it today. Holiness, sanctification, the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, faithful, goodness, gentleness, self-control, winning lost souls. When a person has a heart that is being cultivated to glorify God, they're going to have this kind of fruit. These are the good works that the Bible talks about. The Bible says that when we have hearts for God, our devotion to him will manifest itself outwardly. It's going to be noticeable. Even the wicked people in the world are going to be able to see the produce that God is bringing about in our lives. In fact, maybe we can just sum all this up by saying that one of the fruits of a righteous heart, in addition to these things, is the fruit of becoming more like Jesus. The fruit of becoming more like Jesus. Listen very carefully to me right now. I submit that out of all the things, out of all the things we've said so far in this lesson, this point right here is the most important thing. If you don't take anything else home, I got to get you to take this point home. This is what it's all about. This is why we are trying to plant the seed in our hearts and cultivate the seed. The main thing that God wants to do in the life of the disciple is to make us like Jesus. He wants us to cultivate a heart for him because he wants to make us like Jesus. He wants us to look just like Jesus in Romans chapter eight and in verse number 29, Paul says that as Christians, we are to be conformed to the image of God's son, who is Jesus Christ. If you remember in first Corinthians chapter 11 in verse one, Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate who Christ Paul imitated Christ, and we need to strive to imitate Christ. And then go in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. Do you remember what Paul said there in Philippians chapter 2? And I'm looking at verse number 3. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others, have this attitude or mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Notice how the, the, the whole point of doing good works 
The whole point of being holy, the whole point of bearing the fruits of the spirit, the whole point of trying to win lost souls, the whole point of being unselfish and humble and, and not just looking out for our own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. The whole point of all that stuff is so we can look like Jesus. It's so we can be like Jesus is so we can have a mind like Jesus. You see, when Jesus word is planted in our hearts and it's water in our hearts and it's put into practice in our lives, you know what's going to happen? We're going to start looking like him. We're going to start looking like Jesus as we walk around on this earth. That means that no longer are we going to be able to trivialize sin and view sin as no big deal as the rest of the world does. But instead, we're going to look at sin the same way Jesus looks at it. We're going to look at it as tragic and ugly and wicked and something that will cost you your soul. That means that no longer are we going to walk around in life thinking about life Thinking that life is all about us and people doing it for us and people serving us and people giving us a bunch of attention and putting us on a pedal stool. Instead, we're going to be servants first, like like Jesus. It means that no longer we're going to be quick to lose our temper. And lash out at people and retaliate and curse people out whenever they make us mad. Instead, we're going to practice some self-control like Jesus had when he walked on this earth. And it means that no longer are we going to be living our lives focused on our will and us doing whatever we want and doing whatever makes us feel good. But instead, we're going to live our lives focused first on the will of God, the father, like Jesus did when he was here on this earth. You see, when we develop righteous hearts for God, we're going to get to enjoy the greatest fruit there is. And that's the fruit. That's the fruit of Jesus. That's the fruit of becoming more like Jesus. That is what this really is all about. And so as we wrap up, as we wrap up this portion of the Hands to the Plow series, I want to ask you to really just think about what we've been talking about since February. We've been talking about planting the seed in our hearts, which is the word of God. And we've been talking about cultivating and watering that seed. And we've even talked today about the fruit that we're going to enjoy when we plow our hearts the Lord's way. These are the things I hope you'll think about in this first quarter of the year. But for now, I just want to close by asking you to evaluate your heart. Evaluate your heart this morning. What kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart do you have as you sit there in the pew? There's two people who know what kind of heart you have. The Lord knows and you know. And if you sit there and realize that your heart is far from being right with God, well, you have this chance right here today to change that. To repent if you're a Christian who's fallen away or for the first time to humble your heart before God and believe in his son and repent of your sins and obey his commandment to be baptized in this water for the forgiveness of your sins. If you this morning realize that you need to give your heart to God for the first time or rededicate your heart to him, then we're going to sing this song and invite you to come right here and right now as we stand and we sing together. There's a fountain preaches for you and me. Let us always do its drink. Tis the fountain of love from the source above. And he bids us all freely drink. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come?
is for you and me, thirsty soul, hear the welcome call, tis a fountain open for all. There's a living stream with a crystal gleam, from the throne of life now it flows, while the Hear the call that for freely goes. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul. Hear the welcome call. Tis a fountain open for all. There's a rock that's glad soul is left that may not its pure water share. Tis for you and me and its stream I see. Let us hasten joyfully there. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you soul in the welcome call, tis a fountain open for all. Please be seated for some announcements. We're going to have two men going through the auditorium to collect last minute uh, contributions or visitors cards. If you'd raise your hand, they'll come to you where you are. I want to say again, thank you for all being here today. It's good to be with you. I pray that we're all uh, spiritually uplifted and energized from our worship today. We have a lot of visitors here today. Thank you for being here. Uh, your presence is encouraging to us. Um, if you have questions about the Bible, if you have questions about this church, please don't hesitate to ask them. Thank you, Sean, for your lessons today. They're good. Um, thank you, Jared, for your singing. Appreciate it very much. And thank you, Mike, for your words during the Lord's Supper. Group two meets today, and that's Tom Bourne and Rick Watling. Please, if you're in group two, get to the large classroom and um, find out what you can help with this week. In fact, the elders will be uh, at the end of group two. We're going to have our little uh, question and answer, or, or questions maybe, and uh, town hall, whatever you want to call it. But that'll be today. The elders will be in group two as well. Um, Kenya Geraldo. I'm only going to embarrass you this last time, Kenya. Would you raise your hand, please? Kenya is a new member here at Monta Vista. We're really blessed to have Kenya here. Thank you. I won't do that again. Uh, I did that Wednesday night. But thank you very much for, for placing membership here. She's a young lady that's been checking us out for a little while. And um, she met with the elders last week and placed membership. We're very fortunate to have her. Please meet her and make her feel welcome. I know you will. Um, Dale Sheely, he got a blessing on Friday. Um, he was released from the hospital, and yes, uh, his diagnosis is uh, sobering. Um, it's quite severe, stage four pancreatic cancer. But if you know Dale, he's not like doctors, needles, or hospitals. And for spending a week in the hospital, if he got to go home, and he's a happy camper right at that point. Um, there's a lot of questions about that we all have about the whole situation right now, and we have a lot of questions and less answers. I know Mitch was able to see him briefly on uh, Friday afternoon after he got home. Um, 
but we just don't know a lot right now. Uh, there's a port installed, obviously that's for the chemo, but we don't know how intense of a regiment that will be. Please keep Dale and Pam and the whole family in your prayers. They will need it going forward. Uh, Diane Maynard has her hip surgery, hip replacement uh, this Tuesday. It was already postponed once. Um, we'll call all kind of anticipating this to be a good thing for Diane. The first hip replacement was successful in eliminating some of her pain and discomfort. We're hoping this one will be too, and she can get back to a better quality of life than she's had in the past. Uh, Wayne Cruz sees the surgeon on Tuesday as well. Let's remember him in our prayers. They're trying to tackle, he has multiple hernias and they're trying to figure out the best uh, path going forward for him. Tammy Lorenz is still recovering from her cataract surgery. Um, you know, these things are typically routine. It didn't go well for her. Um, Brad indicated this week that she's gonna have more tests. So please keep Tammy in your prayers. Ellen Fink is not here today. Um, Ellen has a change in medicine a little bit and it's affecting her and she might not be here for a little while um, until that medication gets straightened out and can take the full effect that it's supposed to for her uh, physical needs and uh, cognitive needs as well. Uh, Dwight Holden's not here. He's still suffering from breathing issues associated with COVID a while back. Please keep uh, Dwight in your prayers as well. David Cravens is here today. Um, I don't see him now. But David Cravens is not a visitor. He's a, well, I consider him a member here. Him and Beverly were members here at Monte Vista for many, many years. They live in Michigan now. And I saw David come in earlier, uh, so it was good to see him as well. Uh, a few more names that I want to put out there. Uh, we typically call them shut-ins. I don't like that term, and I just used it. Um, but um, they're folks that don't get out regularly. They can't get out regularly. Holly Wagner, Dee Dee Watson, and Arlene Williams. Please don't forget those folks. Encourage them. Keep them in your prayers. Um, if it's appropriate, try to go visit them and see them. I know they would appreciate it. We'll stay up on our weekly reading. We're starting Luke chapter 11 this week, and hopefully that's going well. Please uh, stay with that. That's all I have for now. It's good to be with you, and um, we're going to be dismissed now. We'll see you back Wednesday at 7 o'clock for our Bible study. Please stand and sing number 122. Oh, God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, He's so good to me, Jesus is real, Jesus is real, Jesus is so real to me. He saved my soul. He saved my soul. He saved my soul. And he for coming.